Welcome to the show, Professor Spiros Michalakis. Did I say it right? Sure, yeah. Thanks <laughs> Close for having enough. me. <laughs> uh, I mispronounced a uh, guy's name who was Steve. So That's uh, special. You know, it happens to everybody. Wow. So you are from Greece, yes, right? Yes, from Athens. I am just outside of Athens. And you're, mm. of course, the way I know you is a, you're a professor at Caltech. Yeah, right? yeah, I'm a research scientist there working on quantum physics. Quantum physics. Uh, I, so... I just went to an event that you were uh, you were speaking at. It was uh, it was through this, this things I got invited to the the science and entertainment exchange, and you know tell us what you were there for because it's it's pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah, this was um, uh, an event that the exchange put together. It was the first in conversation event where they bring in. Well, uh, more importantly, just yes. to cut to the chase. What what is your big? Th- I, I'm gonna just spit it out. Are you know? Sure, sure. You were a consultant for. I am a consultant for Hollywood and for Marvel movies, in but particular. specifically, specifically for Ant Man. Ant Man, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so when I saw you mention on the the science entertainment exchange thing. Uh, I noticed it said that you were a quantum physicist, and was, this was really kind of embarrassing for me because I've been on this show, and people have said, like asked, "Are you a quantum physicist?" And I, I always kind of angrily say, "There's no such thing as a quantum physicist. That's not a real <laughs> thing. You only see that in movies." But you actually go, but do you go by that title when you introduce yourself as a quantum? Sure. I mean, uh, it makes so much more sense because uh, my expertise is on that. Uh, but uh, truly, I was trained as a mathematical physicist. Oh, um, okay. Which is a rigorous version, I guess, of a quantum physicist. Right. All right. But also a little crazier because, you know. You did like spectral theory or something like that? I did a bunch of that, quantum antibody physics, uh, some some really interesting stuff. So, yeah. Okay, so I saw both Ant-Mans. I'm going to do my best not to to try and not like give away spoilers, but, and I don't think we will. I mean, I think the big important plot and elements. Sure, hopefully everyone has seen it by now. Yeah, but uh, um, if you haven't, hit pause, watch it, come back. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, you you consulted for both Ant-Man movies, right? Yeah, that's right. Okay, and so what's great about Ant-Man is, uh, you know, the main theme is that Ant-Man can shrink and grow things. And why did that, why did... uh, how did that come to do with quantum mechanics? How did you yeah, end that's up a, joining those two? That's a very good question because uh, I didn't know myself when I was. Uh, uh, I received an email from Rick Labbard of the Exchange. Who you had on the and, show? Yeah, yes. that's right. Uh-huh. And um, he's like, "Hey, sorry to bother you, but uh, you know, Marvel uh, needs a science consultant for this movie called Ant Man, and uh, they they'll need to fly them out to Atlanta, Georgia, where they have Pinewood Studios." Would you be willing to do it? P.S. Paul Rudd may or may not be there. <laughs> like needle scratch. Right <laughs> and there. I'm like, hell yeah, I'm doing this right. Um, but I didn't know why they needed me or honestly who Ant-Man was. Uh-huh. So on, on the flight there, I uh, purchased the Wi-Fi and I actually uh, read everything I could find about Ant-Man from Marvelpedia, Wikipedia, whatever-pedia is out there. Um, and I was oh, yeah, there's still like, confused. There's like Comicpedia. Comicpedia, <laughs> that's right. Yeah, the, the whole universe, Marvel Cinematic Universepedia. And I was still confused at the end of it. I was like, why do they want me there? I mean, sure, he, he's like an ant and he gets small, but uh, this is not about quantum physics or like the kind of stuff I work on. Um, 
So then I decided I would make it about quantum physics. and Which uh, is probably why they, they asked you to be there. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Um, the, the process with Thor was really similar, except I wasn't even told what it was. I agreed <laughs> so, to do it, thinking it was Seriously, small, they didn't even tell you, yeah, like, they were really, an indie movie. They eventually did when I met with them for the first time. Yeah. But bef- what I had already agreed, bef- what they said, it's just some production house. They had fake production cards and everything. Wow. They were keeping the fact that it was Marvel very secret. And it took for a while and then it i wasn't much of a comic book kid so i didn't yeah, know same here actually I, I didn't know what thor was either which oh come on i've thor, had a lot you of know, people but well i've had a lot know, of people sure, get mad at me yeah, for yeah, that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i even uh this is extra embarrassing uh i was told the character was that was going to be played by natalie portman and i did not recognize her name even though she's um, obviously in star wars wow <laughs> yeah and then um she, when she told me it's like what was her name again and she's like gave me this blank look like Natalie Portman, and then I looked her up. I was like, "Oh, oh, oh wow!" <laughs> yeah. So you had a similar experience, though. Don't really be good. a nerd like him. <laughs> <laughs> so a nerd is a, in this case, a ner- it's a double nerd because it's like That's you right. don't know. <laughs> you don't even know, right? You know the famous celebrities. So they flew you out to Atlanta. That's right. Awesome. They flew me out to Atlanta. They get me into this uh, van that looked like a limo to me because it was the first time I was flown anywhere and like you know, taken to a nondescript <laughs> building. Um, and I was in that uh, van with a very buff guy from Venice Beach, uh, for probably Muscle Beach or something, or Gold's Gym, <laughs> like, you know, in Venice near Google now. Um, Which is always it, tough in Hollywood to tell, like, like a... Like one of the grips, or that's like, right. like, like <laughs> actor who gained fifty pounds for that's a role. Right, or that's something. right. But it turned out <laughs> this guy was neither. He was the trainer that they were bringing in to make sure that Paul Rudd turned into a superhero. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, so we ended was, up before this. He was kind of a scrawny guy, right? Yeah, he's supposed to be funny, and usually that doesn't mean like muscular, right? Um, so, anyways, uh, we we get there and we go our separate ways. A bunch of people just take me uh, into this building. They punch in a code. They get me to the third floor. No eye scanner. They, I mean, you know, I wish, but maybe by now <laughs> they should awesome. probably Marvel should, uh, should at least make get a some fake of that one. stuff. Yeah, you exactly. Know, just <laughs> freak people like in the movie, by the way. Scan. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I get there and it's uh, empty. The, the whole floor is empty, but on the periphery there's a bunch of offices. But I'm supposed to be sitting in that uh, big table in the middle of like you know th- the third floor over there, and I'm by myself, and it's very awkward because I don't know what to expect. I have no idea what to expect. I love the Who's details you put in the story. The, like, I mean, that it's on the third floor. That's really sets it, the... it was on the third floor. <laughs> it was awesome. important to me, right? Yeah, maybe it meant something. <laughs> Right? It wasn't like the top floor or the bottom floor. So um, so anyways, I'm sitting there uh, just looking at my phone, pretending to know what I'm doing and that I'm not just some creeper who found their way in there. And then I get a tap on the back and turn around and it's the sweatiest Paul Rudd I've ever seen. <laughs> and I was just flabbergasted because it wasn't somebody else, somebody to introduce me, somebody slowly to bring them in. It just Paul shows up. <laughs> He's like, hey, Spiro, great to meet you. You know, my, my son loves your work. And I'm like, I am so confused right now. <laughs> what part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe am I in? <laughs> and that was all because I had worked with Google and Mojang, the company behind Minecraft, um, and a few other game designers to, to develop a mod for Minecraft that would oh. introduce kids to quantum physics without them even knowing. And so his son... My kids love Minecraft, too. It, so I'm yeah. definitely going to show You should download it. Yeah, it's... Um, they probably already 
probably have it. They probably have it than you don't know. That's right. Because it was part of the big mod packs and They were everything. also very excited that uh, I told them that the guy who worked on Ant-Man was here. Because we just they we just saw that movie. They loved it. Wow. So. I, and I loved I it am. too, by the way. Just oh, so that's you know. great. And I, could, I love when I'm watching a movie now. I absolutely can tell if they got a, a scientific advisor. It doesn't matter if it's ridiculous. There were just yeah. too many details that made sense. and That and, you're like, and, no writer just sat down and learned enough right, quantum physics to right. get this stuff right, even yeah. though some of it was kind of out there. Yeah. Even though I, I love that joke. That was I, I mean, I laughed my ass off when I heard that joke because it... Because I could tell that it was written with this physicist's help. Like, do you get... Uh, I can just ruin the joke. On sure, it, go right? for it. Yeah, where he just says... Uh, Paul Rudd's character just goes, did you guys just put quantum in front of everything? <laughs> but what's so great about it is like, that totally is true. That is very true. I mean, in fact, even Except in quantum physics. normally quantum physicists. You're sure. not normally a quantum physicist. You just call everything quantum. Yes. <laughs> so, so, yeah, I mean, I, um, I had a great time because right after this initial shock of me being the celebrity in Paul Rudd's eyes because of his son, um, I, I we sat down and then we spent hours. Unless least. he was feverishly Wikipediaing you before. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe you guys and I have that. zero Wikipedia <laughs> presence, so that must have been amazing, right? Somehow he found me. But um, but yeah, and uh, you know, we sat down there. I had no idea what to expect. There was, I didn't know who Peyton Reed was. I didn't know like who any of the producers were. That the writers were there. Everyone was there. Everyone and their mother was there. Okay. Yeah from you know vfx digital artists all these uh, people it was a large table and i was at the at the head of it and i mean it, it's weird even when you go to dinner with your friends nobody wants to sit at the head of the table because it's kind of <laughs> awkward and you probably have to pay the bill at the end uh -huh. and i'm like i don't want to be here like what's going to happen to me but anyways uh, paul made me feel pretty comfortable he was sitting to to my left and um he just started like firing off questions that very quickly we ended up going to quantum physics because at some point I told them that when you go to, you know, down to the quantum realm, and they laughed at, by the way, right? Um, <laughs> you came up with that term, that's right? right? Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. And when that you go down to the quantum realm, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so the laws of physics, the concepts of space and time, maybe they haven't crystallized yet, right? These are like emergent phenomena, at least my research now and some cutting-edge physics says that these are all emergent from something deeper, much more interesting. And of course, you know, when you're working on a sci-fi movie, superhero movie, that's what you want to hear. That yeah. you have free reign to go crazy and come up with whatever you want because everything is emergent, right? Mm -hmm. But then, of course, I was like, wait, but there are rules, right? The emergence rules and all that stuff. Well, also, you know, rules are important for a movie anyway. Of that's course, what's great that's is that even if they're yeah. like, you know, the, the whole beautiful part of it is that you get to create an entire rule system for the for yes. the film as long as it is self-consistent yeah. you know you can it's go like, a little nuts it's like yes there's a guy the size of an it there's a doris yeah. god but <laughs> even that has to be within some sort That's of right. thing otherwise there's no conflict you know like you it, know the irony of all of this and now having worked on both movies is that the one thing that bothers me about the science the most has nothing to do even with the crazy quantum physics i've put in there it is like what about the density uh -huh. <laughs> of Scott Lang, Ant-Man, when he gets really small, right? Yeah. Sure, he cannot get, you know, to the size of a, of a black hole because of his partial radius and all that stuff. Like, you know, he's still too large for that stuff. But 
or when they say he went subatomic, and I'm like, oh, man. <laughs> like, why doesn't you he know? just fall straight through That's the right. earth? Stan Lee, why would you go there? Well, right? but I'm glad that you didn't, uh, you know, you didn't nix it or something. No, but no. as a nuclear physicist, though, may I step in? Please. There are some really neat ideas out there. Um, I, another physicist uh, on the, online, I want to get him as a... Um, John Bay as a uh, Riverside. Oh, yes, yeah. he's yeah. awesome. He's yeah. my hero. He's my hero too. And yeah. he just tweeted back at me. So I'm like, <laughs> yes, I'm super excited. But he was, I, I've been doing some work on, uh, it's kind of secret work, but it's on uh, Pionium. I don't know. Pionium? Pionium. I mean, I know about Neonium. Yeah. And this is yes. my, was my theory of how they got things like right, smaller. Go. Uh -huh. but, so but he's that still changes the density, right? But yes. there are things a lot like, so just to, for everybody listening, Meonium is, it actually is one of the the only oniums, there's yes. a whole family called oniums, it's the only one that, uh, where it doesn't refer to a muon and an anti-muon, yeah. it refers to replacing the electron with, uh, with, with a, a muon. muon, That's right. and just so you guys know, a muon is, uh, you're actually hit by them all the time, you don't realize it, but they are a constant source of radiation flowing through your body, and unlike neutrinos that flow through your body, muons actually do break up dna they they can so give they you have, cancer it's they just a normal large part of enough life. mass in fact they mm -hmm. have 200 times the mass of the electron even right. though everything else is the same yeah, the charge and all that stuff just like a yeah. heavy electron just bizarrely they're just the heavier. fat cousins of electrons yeah. you know and they've been on you know they've been falling down on us on earth all this time yeah but uh you know we didn't notice until we started doing yeah. particle experiments but i want to hear more about uh john bias's theory because it sounds well, he, like he was talking about my muonium and talking okay. about how it's smaller yes like it has the same density yeah, yeah, and yeah. it has a smaller and then he was also talking about how you could make something much bigger like for example there's a related onium like called uh, positronium okay which is uh it's positronium is an electron and it's Instead of the proton in the middle, you replace it with an anti-electron, which just like a proton has a plus one charge. Yeah. And so, so you get this. Pushing uh, out. Yeah. I see. And uh, when I was an undergrad, I made some positronium in one of the labs because it's actually not that hard to make. You just, Seriously. Yeah. You just you get some sodium-22 from a, from a research facility uh -huh. and you shoot the positrons into it. That thing just naturally gives off positrons. Okay. And then you shoot it into something really awesome called aerogel. Uh, have you heard of this? <laughs> no. Aerogel is the lightest material there is. Uh, it was invented at JPL, I think. Wow, that's really cool. Uh, sometimes called uh, solid smoke. It's actually glass. It's made out of like glass fibers, but it's like a foam of glass, and it's only three times denser than air. That is and, insane. <laughs> and it's a it's a really good insulator, and there's all kinds of you know uh, experiments that people have done with it, like including uh, putting it in outer space. You can c catch particles in it and then bring them back down. So there was one experiment that flew behind a, t a comet and collected some wow. stuff and uh trapped it in. man you can get it for 5.99 right. if you call now uh you know a lot of people were hoping it was going to be like in products by now but no yeah. one ever really figured out how to make it cheaply uh because it's a really good insulator so some people were talking about oh this is going to replace fiberglass and and everything probably healthier um, too or whatever uh, well for, for like when you i don't know it might still be bad for inhaling and stuff oh like i that, see because it's it's it basically is like fiberglass it's just like the fibers are insanely tiny maybe and that's even worse out. yeah yeah mm. it might be but uh there's some great demos uh you guys because i'll tweet some out but you could like have have a flower on one side and you have a blowtorch on the other side and the flower will just be fine 
because that is incredible. <laughs> yeah, and when you hold it, it just is surreal because you're feel, you're holding a solid object, but it it has no <laughs> like substance to it. That's anyway, amazing. you put positrons in that, okay. and you can make positronium inside the little gaps. So, did you see any expansion? Did it go into giant it, well, air it, gel? It grows. No, the, no not really. <laughs> <laughs> I just watched for them to, de- you know, to decay, which sure. is kind of boring. Of <laughs> you don't get to see it, unfortunately. Which is actually one of the issues because I've worked with uh, Jim Cameron also on um, a remake of Fantastic Voyage. And I was brought in and I was like, all right. Is this coming up? If things go well, supposedly Guillermo del Toro is uh, helming that, but they may kill it. I don't know. Uh-oh. They're saying maybe <laughs> too expensive now. <laughs> oh, but anyways, it's all about you know getting small again. And he wanted to go deeper into the science of it. And so right after the um, I did my first consult for Ant-Man, that was like four years ago or something like that. I was like, all right, but how would you actually make things smaller? And also, like, you know, mess around with uh, mass converting into energy so that, like, this... You solve the this, density like, Exactly, the, the density problem. But killing two birds with one stone, I realized that you could do muonic matter, right? Mm-hmm. Or do, like, this heavier or lighter um, cousins of electrons where they have the same chemical properties, but the mass is just, like, larger. So you have like, a smaller or larger bore radius, mm-hmm. okay? So that's the, just the general bore radius is the, the, average the diameter distance, yeah, size. At some like, you know, energy level of the mm-hmm. electron So like cloud. neonium normally is uh, about, like about a 200 times, times smaller, smaller than, that's right. That's right. it's which equivalent is, atom. Which is perfect, yeah. right? You know, right. so, um, and, but the only problem is that uh, the reason why we don't have muonic matter is because it decays within like microseconds or milliseconds, mm-hmm. right? And same best. with positronium, unfortunately. That's right. I mean, it would, it would actually, if we could keep positronium around, it would be <laughs> awesome because it would be the greatest fuel that you could ever have. I mean, that's like, that's a quest to store antimatter in some sort of stable form. You know, even just going like to to shell or whatever and saying like you know let me fuel up on positronium right now <laughs> this is this is all you need for marketing it yeah. doesn't even have to be better you <laughs> right. know, just call it positronium 3000 <laughs> and you're great but yeah one of the issues of course um you know with these uh, heavier um uh, particles like muons is that they decay so fast down to mm-hmm. electrons. Yeah, right? they just that, turn back into right. electrons. So they but, give off neutrinos while they do And it. the interesting thing, and you know this very well, because you just mentioned also that we get you know, bombarded by these muons um, that travel through space. How do we even survive right, you know, from coming through our atmosphere okay, if they decay so fast? And it's because they travel so close to the speed of light, there's a time dilation effect that happens mm-hmm. that allows them to actually like reach us before they decay. Right. So then in I was their thinking, frame, it's very slow. Of course. Yeah. So, so I was thinking, like, how cool is that? I mean, first, like, you know, you have to, to you know, your, your pin particles have to be more like, you know, neutrinos that you add to electrons to get to a muon, right? Mm-hmm. And then from then on, you accelerate them so much that you convert like a lot of the mass into energy to keep them more stable. And to keep them longer, so he can be shrinking and staying like shrunk in a for, stable like, form minutes, without right? disintegrating. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> awesome. I'm like, this is great. This uh-huh. is quantum <laughs> physics. This is special relativity. Like, you know, I can fake it all night. So yeah. a lot of people come up to me, non-scientists, come up and ask about uh, interstellar. And a lot of times, people are. It was a little confusing to the public because people would say. Does that really happen? And a lot of astronomers were saying, no, that doesn't happen, because they were more hung up about 
the actual amount of time dilation <laughs> rather than the fact that it happens. That it exists. And so yes. I would. Go, so my answer is always yes. It absolutely. This is a real of thing course, yes. because that's what most people want to know. Is this is this idea that time is relative a real thing? Like yes. you have a hundred to one time ratio or a thousand to one, and the answer is definitely true. And yeah. muons is the uh, the best example of that. That's right. They, these things that normally die. Uh, the, you know, they they managed to make it all the way That's into right. uh, for like, minutes, yeah, like, into you know, the atmosphere, yeah, into the rock. And I definitely know. So I used to work at Italy uh, in the, the in LNGS um, um, or Gran Sasso yeah, facility, yeah, yeah, yeah. and there the muons go through an entire mile of solid rock. So there you and, go. And uh, they only could do that because in their time frame, they're they're able to travel that far. I mean, that's. This is just amazing, right? That a lot of the um, the superhero science or science fiction is based on real science, mm -hmm. starting like a hundred years ago or so, when mm -hmm. every time there was a new theory, whether it was like, okay, there's a new solution to Einstein's equations for general relativity, and it's like this Einstein-Rosenbridge, right? Mm -hmm. It's a wormhole, and, it's, and it is amazing. These were like some really smart people that came up with that stuff. And then Hollywood took over, or writers, <laughs> right? And so many people now know about these concepts yeah. through I feel like there's popular waves. media. I feel like there's waves, though. I mean, yes. I think the Science and Entertainment Exchange definitely is helping of a course. lot. Of but course. I feel like Hollywood sometimes goes in waves where sometimes the the more artistic side of them gets angry at the yeah. um, trying to be too real and they deliberately I would go say the I would say that I agree with that but I would also say that this is our responsibility right mm -hmm. I believe usually in taking control of yeah. your life yeah. and of issues that you see in the world and so the reason why I love working with the exchange and with Marvel and Hollywood in general is because it is easy to say, like, come on, you guys, you know, why are you even saying this crap? Yeah. Right. Yeah. What is, why is this in the script? Instead of saying, all right, this is a challenge. Mm -hmm. OK, you give me quantum energy and quantum healing particles and I will find a way to make this real science. <laughs> it is up to me, not up to you to do this. Right. And of course, you know, once you create this dialectic with them and this trust, right, this relationship, then they actually listen to you, which was why there was so much real science in Ant-Man and the Wasp. Right. Mm -hmm. And you have Lawrence Fisburne memorizing pretty much like three minutes of quantum physics that I wrote in the script there. <laughs> and they just took it. And uh, he was like giving a lecture at Berkeley. Right about quantum superposition and quantum phasing and stuff like that, right? So, so that was cool. Yeah, that scene was was definitely the one that really stuck out. It was like, okay, yeah, they got something's up. They here. got someone who knew it. Yeah, yeah. I wonder he's up with all the symbols in the back. Yeah. Were my equations. Right. And I, I, I did you write remember? It? I remember like, um, I remember forgetting that <laughs> I had actually given them that stuff. Did you do the writing too? I know. I no. didn't even. I wasn't even up there at the. You know, it wasn't even up Berkeley. Apparently, it was in Atlanta. It, yeah. So I've done that for a lot of different things where I have to write it out. And part of the yes. reason is because uh, something I discovered is if you give it to just normal set decorators, a lot of them they're like. I don't even know what that symbol is. It looks like you're trying to copy, you know, yeah. art, right? <laughs> and you're like, I don't, how do, what even comes first? Like, it, it's almost like you're learning Chinese and, uh, you, you know, the kanji, they have a stroke order, right? Mm -hmm. And it looks different if you don't do it right. And, but, and yeah. if you ever want to spot, like, badly written equations in a movie, you guys could just, uh, just look for, like, if somebody writes, like, E equals MC squared, like, eight times on the board, or, like, <laughs> or, like, seven plus three is... <laughs> is 20. Uh, 20. <laughs>
for large numbers seven and three mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> and then uh, like also to be kind of like randomly patterned like a like a mosaic <laughs> yeah oh yeah when it looks it, it i mean when we write equations on a board it does not look like art yeah well, well actually that is not true it's a, it's a special kind a good of art. friend of mine actually yeah. recently sold for a good chunk of money a blackboard with a lot of the equations and ideas that we have been discussing, like some cutting edge stuff that I didn't even realize. Oh, <laughs> that's, that's you know, awesome. taking down. So there's people a, really like it. There's a uh, there's a restaurant bar in, um, in Los Alamos where they have preserved a blackboard from the Manhattan Project, oh, and wow. it has like a really basic calculation about uh, neutrons. And it's like preserved in a, in a like this a is glass amazing. thing. I mean, I was in Los Alamos. I think Alamos. it was Fermi's uh, like board or something. I was there for two years as a postdoc, and I went to every single bar because if you've ever been to Los Alamos, you don't understand. You need to drink a lot. Yeah, if you're there for two years, and <laughs> and I never saw that. Well, what uh, you probably do remember though, Los Alamos, the bars only last a couple of years because they're oh, they're true. constantly being closed and reopened, yes, even though yes. it's all the same people. It's very mysterious. It is. <laughs> there's some there's some hidden in town politics <laughs> behind it. It's a uh, it's always a little surprising. Wow. I think I saw it... the birth and death of like four restaurants the whole time i was there restaurant bars um (laughs) that's amazing i mean there's also just two places to eat that you want to go eat um they're awesome i was told part of it is just they don't have a lot of licenses so they fight over it internally like uh like who gets it and that's a a microcosm (laughs) right a microverse (laughs) of uh politics which i guess takes us back to um that first meeting at uh, Pinewood Studios in Atlanta. And at the end of it, they're like, we'd love to have you uh, join us on set next week. That's and I awesome. Was, but I was a little bit confused because I'm like, what do you mean next week? I thought that you need time to develop a script, want to consult <laughs> and all that stuff. And then I was like, oh man, they just brought me in here probably to just validate some, some things that they had written or be like, we're not that crazy or whatever. Nothing is going to make it in, right? From anything I told them. And then I go watch the movie. I didn't make it to on set. I didn't know what happened. I had some other things at Caltech. And and I watched the movie like everyone else. And I was like, oh, my God. So many of this stuff is like they made it. It made it in. I don't know mm-hmm. how within such short time. A lot of it they just do at the end. This happened yeah. with Thor, too. So I was not part of the uh, the initial part, like Sean Carroll yeah. and Computer Hand. They got to all meet with uh, the producers and writers I wasn't allowed to meet with anybody. I was only on set <laughs> once towards the but I was working with the set decorators and it turned out to be I think just as much fun or or more sure. and I it felt like I really contributed a lot because I got to like control how it looked and everything yeah. like I gave them I I took them on a tour of of uh you know Caltech Labs which by the <laughs> way this is so funny one of the producers is like Oh, yeah, yeah, I've been down here before. We came down here for Iron Man. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> like, oh, this yeah, his particle time. accelerator is That's based right, yeah. on this one. <laughs> you guys have only one thing to show us right. at Caltech. Yeah. <laughs> right. uh, I was trying to show that it was dirty and messy and that, like, stuff's all over, oh, which is I a see, thing I that, um, 
you know, again, this is the thing. Sometimes the the producers don't want, or the director doesn't want it. It's like they have an idea where it's supposed to be clean and expensive, super pristine and but, beautiful, yeah. and like ooh. But yeah. in this case, it worked because Natalie Portman was like, uh, you know, she was just she was playing somebody who went rogue. You know, this yeah. is she just set it up in an old <laughs> uh, automobile shop. Which, by the way, they never told me that until that I went was, on set. They're like, oh wow! I was like, what? This building is so weird looking. They're like, oh yeah, sorry, it was a secret, but yeah, it's a it's an auto dealership. <laughs> I'm like, okay. Uh, it didn't really affect anything. Wow. But, um, it's the inside track. Yeah. But yeah, I found it amazing that um, so much of it made it into the the first movie. And then that Kevin Feige, the president of Marvel Studios, goes on record to say, like, around the time that the first movie came out, that the Marvel Cinematic Universe will rely heavily on the quantum realm, right? For <laughs> phase three and, like, in the future. And he keeps saying that now. And I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> what have I awesome. done? Right? It's like... <laughs> Because, I mean, that's sometimes, you know, the less you know. Because I knew so little about Marvel and specifically Ant-Man and the fact that there was already a microverse mm -hmm. and there were Micronauts, which are little superheroes, you know, in that microverse and all stuff. And it was just a smaller place, a parallel dimension or something or mm -hmm. whatever, instead of just the source code of reality, which is what the quantum realm is, right? Where you go to a place where... Again, space and time haven't emerged yet. They haven't crystallized. Like, you know, the laws of physics are more probabilistic and all that stuff. So does that mean there's no Stanley reference to the quantum? No, realm, no, right? never, ever, awesome. ever, ever, ever. <laughs> or quantum physics for that yeah. matter. It's not like, oh, yeah, we're going quantum now. That wasn't supposed to be a thing. Well, so. It, in, uh, so one of the things I did after I was done is I had to sort of rewrite what everything you know the story yeah. that went along with all the stuff that we designed about Natalie Port there's a whole backstory about <laughs> her looking for dark matter and finding it in New Mexico and like and uh but so that just explained all that but one of them was I, I mentioned that um that Thor's hammer was made from a neutron star it made a neutronium that's an awesome story because uh, I had a very similar thing about the the weight by the way yes I don't know if you know this but Thor's hammer is very specifically in the comic book. I found this from other people yeah, writing about yeah, it. Yeah. It couldn't be made out of dead spatter because it's a, uh, because it's a, uh, it's too heavy. You know, like if it was yes. neutronium, it would be too heavy. Yes. But there's a really good solution to this. I was like, no, I never said it was solid neutronium. Yes. It's hollow. And if you actually, <laughs> <laughs> it's hollow. I like it. It's so so there's my a whole, magnet inside. Yeah. You know. <laughs> so so my whole backstory is it's a shell of neutronium, and if you calculate the thickness that it needs to be to weigh what it is. Uh -huh. in the uh, thing it's roughly one fermi thick which is just perfect wow. because that's how so thick it's like it graphene is. like you know yeah, monatomic exactly. layer or something <laughs> <laughs> and it's thought? great it could have all kinds of circuitry that decides who's worthy and it can oh couple to to gravity what it wants to and uncouple that's great <laughs> so, so it's hollow but it has a bunch of electronics inside right. which are much <laughs> well, like or you know, of the material itself oh sure be, of course you know if you can make wow. circuits out of graphene why not but have you, graphenated uh uh, of course, it's, it's literally like a topological insulator, right? A right. three-dimensional <laughs> object that only conducts, like, you know, on the surface and not in the bulk. This mm. is... You were ahead of your time, Kevin. <laughs> but you but, told but me. They, yeah. But, but you, I like that they, um, you know, they bring it back. Like, they didn't really say anything I said in the first Thor. But yeah. then in Infinity War, they bring up. He's like, uh, Thor's like, oh, I made it out of a neutron star. No, it was forged. <laughs> forged right, out of a know, neutron star. At the, at the heart of a neutron right. star. Come on, we have to learn how to speak Hollywood. Right? <laughs> you, know, you need to craft your sentences. You know, I was so forged. busy focusing on my, my Aussie accent. I, was, I got distracted <laughs> to do the... I was a bad Aussie accent. Time. I know. 
I know I'm no Chris Hemsworth. That's for sure. <laughs> that's it. It must be like you need the muscles to have the right accent. Right. I'm working on it. You're close. You're close. <laughs> but yeah, after that first uh, you know consult, I was like, all right, maybe that's it. I mean, I was excited that the quantum realm was a thing, but I don't. I, I think wasn't that's expecting. So awesome. that I wasn't good. expecting that they would call me back at any point. That's or gonna be, be like, there for like a hundred years now. You realize that? Like, <laughs> so many young minds corrupted. <laughs> because like fans take that stuff and run with it yeah, you know like yeah, there's yeah. there's fan fiction made out of it there's like oh this is super weird someone made a the science of thor book that had nothing to do with marvel never <laughs> talked to me or anybody else the consultant so you know people are always trying to like throw in their I own i think it's uh, a great stuff. way to to do outreach <laughs> i mean like it's incredible right uh, you love doing outreach when you're paired with something like marvel studios Right? Mm -hmm. because they have such a huge audience i mean it's an ego boost of course as well but it is such a huge audience and there's like the kids come from from all around the world right mm -hmm. like it can be white black blue boys girls you know and we need a lot more female superheroes and i was very happy to see the wasp you know kick some butt in this one <laughs> but yep. uh but awesome. you know but to be able to infuse it with some it's not it doesn't even have to be accurate science right you try to make it 100 percent accurate from your side but when the you know hollywood mm -hmm. comes in it needs to flow it needs to connect it needs to create like engagement and yeah. it is that emotional engagement that to me is a hundred times more important than the intellectual engagement yeah. because you're not trying to get them to learn quantum physics within like two hours right right or even a few minutes that you in, hear it in fact i think sometimes science fiction makes more mistakes when they do that too much yeah you know where they're you like lose well we the have audience. to explain exactly why this works it's yeah. like you know what like w scientists 50 years ago could not predict everything that would we would be able to do now that it, to them would that's, still be magic that's right but it's not just you know carl sagan said the you know um you know, it's sufficiently advanced society. I mean, nowadays that can literally be like a, you know, a 50 year period. Yes. You know, because there would be just a little trick that nobody thought of, you know, that's, like, uh, that's, like I Einstein mean, never yeah. knew that his, his theory, he knew it would, you know, he, in his lifetime, he knew it would predict things like black holes and, yeah, and yeah, time yeah. dilation, but he certainly didn't sit there going like, oh, this is going to be awesome for, um, getting GPS. taxi, yeah, taxi yeah. rides. Then. One day it'll be Uber and, <laughs> right. and so on and so forth. Yeah. <laughs> No, I agree. But, you know, I, I mean, personally, you know, when you think about how accurate it has to be before it tickles your fancy and then mm -hmm. you want to spend your life doing research on that. Mm -hmm. Again, I, you know, I said that at the uh, exchange event as well. And I've said it before that I, I was supposed to be a biologist or a mathematical biologist, not a mathematical physicist. Mm -hmm. I hadn't taken any physics in high school or um, as an undergrad at MIT, I had no no such background beyond mm -hmm. just what was required, right? The most basic stuff. And then here I was deciding in grad school at UC Davis that I was going to be a quantum physicist. Why? Because my advisor, my original advisor was not around, the, the evolutionary biologist uh, dude over there. He was just <laughs> too, too busy and too, uh, too famous. So I went to the head of the math department and he's like, yes, you, he, he's a mathematical physicist and an amazing one. He's like, you're going to work with me and like, you know, we're going to study quantum teleportation. It's awesome. like, oh, you, you <laughs> had me at hello. I mean, seriously, <laughs> like what? So, and then he gives me a huge book and I read through it. Like I, I loved it so much. Right. And it was because Star Trek. 
because somebody thought like how cool would it be to have a teleportation device right probably they lived in LA or something like that but you yeah. know it was amazing and that's but all it took speaking of stuff you know Star Trek and stuff being uh, seeming really advanced like what's hilarious is there were things they thought in Star Trek were way too advanced for anything except for hundreds and hundreds of years of the future yeah. and now you know like we have things way smaller. They had like tricorders and communicators. Right. Like my phone makes those things look like pieces of junk. It's amazing. <laughs> we're working could... on that stuff too. Like we are. Like at the days. time, there was like no way would you have a thing that yes. small that could take your pulse <laughs> and everything. It was like, uh, yeah, sorry, it's on the. We still don't have galaxy. flying cars though, right? No, we don't. So we're, we're getting there. But sometimes, yeah. Yeah, 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 we gotta leave some things to the imagination. The public needs to want it hard. Yeah. So. Uh, but think, yeah, I think there's a powerful section of society that's like really doesn't want flying cars deliberately dragging your feet that's well, what i think i don't know i'm not uh, i i mean i don't like conspiracy theories um like that usually why because then they go into also the more the healthcare side of things uh -huh. and i even have close friends really smart friends back in greece saying like do you really think that uh you know we we found uh, a cure for cancer or for hiv and aids and all that stuff uh -huh. and they're just keeping it secret from us i'm like if you understood, and we know how hard it is, like to do science, mm -hmm. to get anything right, the fact that we ever make any progress is incredible, uh -huh. right? Because you're the very first human in space and time of all human history to figure something new out, right? You don't mm -hmm. even know if that was supposed to be there, and there you are. So to find a cure and then like to hide it or to say like, oh, I mean, I'm sure this, some of these things have happened in like, different scales for, for other mm. stuff where you have powerful interests but it is almost an insult it is an insult to everyone like destroying their lives trying to figure this stuff out because uh -huh. it really matters to them because they have a family member or a close friend right and somebody's saying like oh yeah no somebody <laughs> else just figured it out already they so never told <laughs> you or any one of us because they're trying to make money out of chemotherapy or something. Yeah, well, so like, just to really? be fair, just to be fair, I wasn't implying there was a conspiracy against flying cars. <laughs> I was on. just saying that I think a lot of, I mean, there's so many people working on it and that I think a big problem is that a lot of places just don't want to give licenses for flying cars because they're scared of them flying everywhere. Oh, like, for yeah, example, yeah, yeah, of course. So if you say, I'm like totally convinced the first flying cars will be in Dubai. I'm like 100% certain. <laughs> no matter who invents it first and who gets it working. Yeah. Uh, I mean, in real life, the real problem is just battery life exactly, and stuff like that. Exactly. So as soon as that's solved, there will probably it will just be a phase transition. Yeah. Just suddenly yeah. there's a yeah. lot of... Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. even at the beginning, like right now I hear all these companies saying like, well, we can't even try it out in the US because you're not even allowed like you have to have a helicopter's license and everything yes. like that. But I'm positive Dubai will be having like golden flying <laughs> I agree. I mean I first. think you're you're very right. I even know CEOs of a few of the companies working on flying cars right now. Mm -hmm. And they call them air taxis and you know so on and so forth. And this is indeed true. The battery is the main issue. Mm -hmm. But if you want it for local commute, right, you could devise it so that you can go and fly on top of you know buildings and mm -hmm. then you can just take the elevator down and like walk where you want to go right. and they're trying to also pair with uber or other more local commuting services so you can yeah. just go to some central station and just move around a little bit further to where you really need to be and sometimes but, yeah. it's just it's like a lot of things have to come to you like for example we we're talking about gps a lot of the people making these flying car prototypes 
they're heavily relying on the fact that now you can reliably track Correct. where the thing is. And yes. so you can fly in a way that nobody yes. had to fly before. It's not really, yes. uh, pilots aren't supposed to rely on GPS, but that's a thing that maybe but is there practical. is something else that is very interesting here, that the problem of autonomy and autonomous like driving, mm-hmm. it becomes much, much easier when you're in oh, the air. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Right, and then you have which is more funny. They probably like, used to think exactly the opposite, yeah, because they're like, I don't want some crazy autonomous. But now that's how literally how that's pilots right. fly things. That's anyway. right. That's right. You just so need to is. be there, just like you know, yeah. for for appearance's sake or something. Or yeah, you don't have to worry apart. about hitting pedestrians yeah, yeah, and all yeah. this stuff. But um, this is, I mean, you know, you're right. All of these technologies and ideas and theoretical ideas, right? Like from computer science, from neural networks, now machine learning, all this stuff. They'll have to come together, mm. and there is a reason why we haven't, you know, because usually, kind of like the teleportation from Star Trek, right? Think about this, like, how could you even teleport to a place that you're not connected to, that you don't have, like, a pin, mm-hmm. right? Like, unless you literally, uh, you know, send a beam of light, and, and you know, maybe too specifically up. over yeah. there, right? If there is no bridge in space-time, right, to say, like, okay, we will collocate you between this place and this place, right? Mm -hmm. We'll just move your state from here to here. How are you going to do it? And when it comes to quantum teleportation, that is the main ingredient, right? Entanglement Mm -hmm. is the answer, right? It is the thing that tells you there exists almost like a wormhole that you generate between where you are and where you want to go, and all you have to do is just squeeze yourself right and your information from one side to the other one mm-hmm. you just it's it's not even that you're traveling somewhere you're just you know the two places in space are the same part of the same object mm-hmm. kind of like in dune it's actually exactly like in dune right? <laughs> you just have the worms and all that stuff where they are the bridge right mm-hmm. they are oh wow i realize now worms wormhole you know, is that they're... what they were thinking uh, who did come up with the term wormhole? I'm not sure. I mean, like, yeah, I don't know I don't who know came up Einstein... with that, but that <laughs> makes so much sense now. I mean, Einstein and Rosen called it a bridge, I guess. So of course. I think they're the f- yeah. they called it that. But why a wormhole? I don't know. It looked oh because maybe because of books. When maybe. worms eat through a book, then you could do that's, that little demonstration of the piece of paper. That's probably not um, it. So yes. how do you? So uh, I think what you're. What you're sort of talking around is this, uh, like, what is this, ER or EPR? ER equals EPR, yeah. So what is your philosophy on that? Do you think (laughs) entanglement is actually caused by little tiny wormholes? Um, or is there because yeah, I would say it's the other way around of, you think it's the other way around it's the other way around <laughs> oh man but huh? entanglement is a mathematical property uh-huh. right it doesn't even it doesn't even have to be a physical part of physical reality it's just like a um, mathematical uh, structure right that exists in states that try to represent complex mathematical spaces but do you think we could make a big wormhole by Taking one of these entangled I, I states and growing. So. Yes, I do yeah. think. I mean, I don't know exactly what the process is. How do you grow an entangled state? But uh, you mean a traversable wormhole? Yeah. Right? Well, I mean, when that's one big you're allowed classic, to go. I mean, the original one was classical. Sure. So yes, of course. But you know, like, you know, how do you how do you do that? That's what I'm excited about. Uh-huh. This is why I'm so excited for the next generation to to come to terms with a revolution in physics, where what is really going on is we are starting to see for the first time, kind of a, a wormhole develop between the fields of mathematics and physics in a way That's that so is meta. not just that, that is not just like <laughs> math is the model or the language for physics. There is something crazy going on here, right? That there is like maybe math 
and physics are the same thing if we allow them to be, right? That what is possible is what is mathematically possible, potentially even crazier than that. And the constraints come from the kind of questions you're allowed to ask, right, of the thing in itself. And by questions, I don't even mean just like, you know, observations and stuff. I mean, experiments you can do, like manipulation of space and time and all these things. So that's that's why I'm so excited to um, to work also with Marvel and to try to put some of these ideas out there. That's awesome. So how many uh, movies are you going to keep working on? Are you, do, am I, Forever and ever. Do I get any scraps here? It's like, <laughs> I've only got to work on one. <laughs> I'm sorry, man. <laughs> like, um, no, I think there'll be... Uh, you know, once they get you in, uh, you know, in the room and, um, you know, you you have fun with them, I think it was yeah, just very nice. I guess this takes us to the second movie, that the fact that they brought me in six months in advance uh, well, I before, think that really, like, you know, filming. Right? I think that really helped because uh, something weird happened between Thor and Thor 2. They yeah. didn't have any of the same people working on it. New director, new producer, yeah. new set decorators. Everyone that I was working with was not on that movie yeah. total mystery to me so that's sort of how and and they uh i could just tell they didn't even have science consulting for the second one there yeah, was like, and eh. i mean and it's interesting because too much in the first one i didn't even know what the process was internally until the event a few days ago right um you know where steven broussard uh one of the producers and one of the original uh masterminds behind marvel studios um marvel cinematic universe he said that, yeah, you know, so we were sitting around in a room with Paul and Peyton and, you know, the writers. We we're shooting ideas around and then we we're okay, we have an interesting structure for the story. We need it to be kind of like a heist, but funny and all that stuff. And then when you go to the quantum realm, right, and how, you know, because it's about bringing Janet Van Dyne, Michelle Pfeiffer, back from the quantum realm, that this is where they were like... They, the room was buzzing. They're like, all right, we got to get Spiros here now. And I was like, are <laughs> you awesome. serious? You guys even know my name? You haven't forgotten or something, right? After all these years. Right, so, it was just awesome. So I, I looked this up. Herman uh, Vile, a friend of my, um, who was a friend of my father-in-law and mother-in-law, Jesus. actually. Jesus, okay. Um, <laughs> you have royalty. In yeah, Bacon, yeah, I do. Yeah, my, my, my father-in-law is a famous mathematician. So. Um, okay, yeah. then. Yeah. Um, Anyway, so Vial is the one who first came up with... He didn't use the word wormhole, but he kept talking about it. He called them one-dimensional tubes, which is a little weird because they're not one-dimensional exactly. But yeah. uh, he must have been talking more on the... the, uh, the maybe um, he wanted the to call them... Size of it. Maybe he wanted to call them one-dimensional because he assumed that they were not traversable. So if they were two-dimensional in a way, it's like an actual tube where you can kind of squeeze through, uh -huh. right? Versus just something that pinches off and there's... Yeah. yeah. So and, and then um, tubes. and then uh, Archibald Wheeler, John Archibald Wheeler, um, uh, yeah, very, very also, famous. Yeah, very famous guy. Wrote, published the first paper on the uranium chain reaction right before World War Two. I think. Uh -huh. <laughs> I'm not sure how he feels about that now or felt about that. Uh, also works with Kip Thorne a lot. Um, he wow. coined the term wormhole in a 1957 paper that he did with uh, My Charles Meissner. How amazing is yeah. this, by the way, right? That, like, you may be mostly known for something you just coined versus mm -hmm. put to the public. And that's, yeah. that is actually amazing, right? That oh, very often in academia, as professors, um, as uh, scientists, 
we forget that there is a world out there mm -hmm. because it, it it's not because we're like weird people hopefully or like bad or <laughs> yeah, we, we, can we be. think we can we're be pretty weird <laughs> sure sure and maybe there are elitists Although, out there too one of the too. things i've learned from hanging out with comedians is they can be kind of weird too. they are it's just a different weird. kind of weird we're uh, good weird right good and bad. it's just that what we what we work on sometimes is so draining mm -hmm. emotionally draining right Crippling. it's not just it's yeah. exactly it's not intellectually draining it's like <laughs> I mean, and I think the audience can understand this because I don't know how many of you love math, but when somebody says like, oh yeah, let's talk about math for the next two hours at dinner, <laughs> you will feel emotionally drained, okay? Yeah. Before you even yeah. like say, oh, but I can't do any more math now. I mm. had fun, but after two hours, I ran out of steam. You wouldn't say that. You say like, no, I don't, <laughs> right? So imagine yeah. you're doing that like all your life, yeah. your adult life. And it's hard to explain, but you can't turn it off. I, this oh, is no. hard to yeah. explain. So sometimes, especially when I'm trying to do prepare for a set or something like that performance, um, if I've been working on something all day, I can't just get my brain to stop thinking about yes. like the math and physics behind it. And yes. it makes it like almost impossible to talk to anybody because it's just like that's so true. Like, or like I mentioned like, Pionium uh, at the beginning. Yeah. I've been thinking about this nonstop <laughs> for the entire last week, and it just cripples me. Uh, uh, well, you know. So can I tell you what Pionium is? I guess, if you like, ever, yeah. uh, heard of this? Uh, go ahead. Okay, so there, you know what a pion is? Yes. Uh, a pion is a it's it's a particle kind of it's kind of a, a cousin of the muon. Yeah. Um, it's sort of like a mutant between uh, you know a, a a proton or neutron and a muon. It's sort of if you squeeze the two together, you can get something like. But it's much lighter than a proton, so you can make a thing kind of like um, muonium, but you don't even have to have either a muon or electron you just have two pions a positively charged one and a negative charged one and they make this thing that's a lot like an atom but it's it's like 10 times lighter than an atom and wow. and it's 10 times uh, and would it, but but wait would it have the chemical properties like the charge and stuff like that that allows it to form yeah, you know, molecules could, yeah and so that's the that's the other thing you could it's so called wow. dipionium which dipionium. is a which is a really interesting structure quantum mechanically because it's a lot like uh, hydrogen yeah. molecules, you know, H2. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, it has all this symmetry in it because you can trade any of the of, course. of the quarks to have it, like they could trade the minus and the positive because it's a totally reversible object. It looks the same in a mirror. It looks the same going backwards in time. It's a really weird thing. <laughs> so I um, wonder what kind of... What kind of object you would make first out of like pionium? If I could make a lot of them, right? unfortunately, it's the same problem that you had yeah. with the myonium. It doesn't it last does. very long. It does not last. Uh, but this is, it's been proposed for a long time, but they actually made it in the last couple of years at oh, wow. CERN. They've, they've made, uh, I think it's only like 20 of them, something 20. around that. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's getting a big there. deal. It's, it's like, yeah, there. we made pionium. Like, last uh, a nanosecond. I'm yeah. sorry. <laughs> But look, if you keep it in Thor's hammer, you can probably do a lot of cool stuff with it. Of course, that's why it's called science fiction. Yeah. yeah, yeah so yeah. Um, I just want to read this. This is from their paper. Um, I'm going to read in my, uh, my fancy old-timey voice. Uh, this analysis forces one to consider situations where there's a net flux line of force through what topologists would call a handle, air quote, a handle, of multiply connected space. And what physicists might be excused for more vividly terming a wormhole. That's the first Ooh. use of wormhole. This is from, from Wheeler, 1957. That wasn't a good 57 voice, though. That's not... 
Hey, you, you I, gotta I, watch I those don't old. know. I don't know. That's more like 1857 I did. Oh, right. Oh, well, wow. you know. My acting career's not going very well, so <laughs> you have an acting career. No. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm I'm glad to hear that. Otherwise it'd be awkward. <laughs> it's like <laughs> right. yeah. do the old timey voice of the the uh, Chris Hemsworth. Yeah. Um yeah, I'll probably You're consistent, to... you know. They all sound very much like you. <laughs> so uh what did, did you what you at the event you said like Paul Rudd was really into this. Could you tell me oh, more he was, about that? He was He's like a smart guy, right? Uh, oh my right? god, he's so freaking smart. But then again, you know, right? You hang out apparently with comedians. And I, before I even met Paul or, or any stand-up comedian, for that matter, I always thought of them as being the smartest people out there. Right? <laughs> them and just like jazz pianists <laughs> who can improvise and they come up with smart, amazing but, stuff know. like that. I, it's incredible because, you know, somebody like me can, can seem smart because I take time, I think about some stuff, you know, and I'm like, ooh, and people are like, oh, that's, that's deep or whatever. But like on the spot to be able to synthesize information and like, you know, put it out there and express it. I've I met really smart comedians and I've met really dumb comedians. Okay. So some people it's... it's are they a, even funny? If yeah, dumb, dumb comedians. Yeah, they're, they're, I've met lots of dumb comedians who are funny. That's but it's true that okay. smart comedians are usually funnier i see and well, there's usually like th i mean the thing is you don't need a classical smart to be a comedian so yeah. you might be thought of as like dumb by all of society except when you suddenly comes to humor and then you're a freaking genius that's, and there's that's, I, lo I love that's my yeah. favorite kind of comedian <laughs> it makes me wonder though then what does it even mean to be dumb or smart well right? exactly so, that's what's great know. about it well there's a, i love the rebellious you know ness that can come along with somebody like that it's like yeah, yeah everyone said i was d like every teacher i've ever had said i was dumb and here i am i just got paid two million dollars by netflix or something you wow know? Like, that's <laughs> i want to be dumb like that right oh man <laughs> Okay. But yeah, no, when I met uh, Paul, he asked amazing questions, went really deep, patent, really, really smart. I mean, come on, you know, these are like really smart people. Yeah. I've heard Not that just Paul creatively, was smart. but like, you know, very smart people. The writers. Mm -hmm. Do you guys hang now? Ah, you and Paul? I wish. <laughs> you get him on the I've show? Seen, that would be I've awesome. I've seen him, yeah, I've seen him a couple of times, and he was kind enough to um, indulge me when I paired him uh, against Stephen Hawking for that. Um, that little video we put together uh, where I had them play each other quantum chess, which is a real game uh -huh. that a uh, graduate student, uh, Chris Cantwell, made. Uh, he's at USC. Yeah, so. Where can we see this? I'll tweet it out too. But where, oh, where it's can on we YouTube. Find it? We went viral. What's like, the name? You know, can you just say the name so people can search for it? Anyone Can Quantum. Uh, because it was outreach, I wanted like and you know, this kids is Stephen to know. Hawking, and Paul Rudd. That's right. That's we, awesome. It gets better. Yeah. It gets better. I could even go into the story behind how to yeah, even please. make something like that. Uh, but um, but Keanu Reeves actually narrates the uh, the action. So <laughs> it's awesome. insane, right? The people I know now. So, but it, we were supposed to have an event two years ago at Caltech, and it was um, all about Feynman's vision for quantum computing and so mm -hmm. on and so forth. Um, so at the time I was working, as I said, with Chris, uh, from USC on a quantum game and he found out about me from, um, uh, his advisor at USC because I had worked, as I said before, like on Minecraft, you know, to do this mod, QCraft. So he's like, all right, there's one guy in the universe who's done a quantum game, even though it's kind of like not really <laughs> about quantum physics, about the concepts and stuff like that. And so he came to me and he's like, I've developed you know, these, these four by four board where the pieces can move, there were little circles, right? 
in quantum superposition potentially because <laughs> they were using a class how do you express to the public right your research uh -huh. it was that kind of class and it's like i want to do it with a game because how the heck do you explain quantum physics to the public right uh -huh. Well, you do Trantman and the Wasp, I guess. But but anyway, so he comes to me. We we worked on that. At some point, you know, we get to a place where this is quantum chess. You can play chess now, but with quantum moves where the pieces can like you know move it to place at the same time. But the probability of finding them there is like not a hundred percent anymore. And there is entanglement between them because if there is like one piece that may or may not be there, and another piece passes through it. Right, mm -hmm. it, it's you know whether it uh, passed or not it depends on it's conditioned upon the other piece being there or not. So right? is this? Have you sold this to a gaming company? We or haven't is there an yet. App yet. It's gonna. I mean, it's I, I want to help you get out. It is out there. Yeah, it's it's a game. We're getting it to a place where you can have. I mean, think the about not it, right? hot dog app. Have you seen that one? No. The not hot dog app. Not we, hot dog app. Get, yeah, it's it's nominated for an Emmy. Actually. Seriously? Yeah. <laughs> I need to have the not have, hot dog. Do you watch? Uh, do you watch Silicon Valley at all? I uh, a little bit. A little bit. Are so you talking about whether app. a hot dog is a sandwich or not? No, no. Oh, it's okay. a, it, you have to watch the episode. But okay. uh, they in the show, <laughs> they there's a they he develops an app to see if it's a hot dog, and then the joke <laughs> is that the guy like uh, everyone's all excited, like okay, try it on pizza. Yeah, and then they try it, and it's like um. It says not hot dog, and then they're like, "What is this?" He's like, uh, "The character Jim, uh, Jimmy Bo Yang's character is yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Um, is like, oh, I only trained it on hot dogs." Anyway, they they brilliantly released the app the same time that episode really? came out, and they hired a really good oh, programmer man. to like release this app, and so people were downloading it for free, and it was like, wow. And now it's it's like a huge thing. This is and, actually pretty similar to what ended up happening with this story here awesome. because as it was being developed around the time when we were planning to release this game. Mm -hmm comes this event that we had to do two years ago and i'm like all right it'd be really cool if we had stephen hawking and jim parsons right you know sheldon cooper mm -hmm. from big bang theory go at it right against each other playing quantum chess we reached out they didn't get back to us uh -huh. <laughs> so we're like all right who else do i have on speed dial no one but i did have paul's email so i email him and he's like, uh, sure, you know, talk to my publicist here. We're going to set something up. Send me a script. I'm like, a what? A script? I thought you would develop the script. For I was such a noob. Oh, my God. <laughs> I just had an idea in my mind. But like, anyway, so there I am, depressed immediately because like, that's not going to go anywhere. I have a month to make this happen, by the way. Uh -huh. So I have to find like a director. I have to find somebody to narrate the action. Okay. Uh -huh. And I... I and I need a script. So what ends up happening is I reach out to a friend of mine, uh, Ed Solomon, the guy who wrote Bill and Ted and uh, Men in Black and all that stuff. Uh -huh. and, and I reached out to him thinking that, you know, he worked on Now You See Me with Morgan Freeman. And I'm like, I maybe I'll get Morgan Freeman to narrate this, right? Because that's, that's, I'm stupid, right? This is how I think, like, you know, six degrees of separation, that's how I'll get Morgan Freeman, and then I'll figure out the rest, right? So so he gets back to me, he's like, no, I can't get you Morgan, because right, I think he's filming or something like that. <laughs> but, but, I, but, you know, call me, uh, I have some ideas. I'm like, all right. So he tells me, like, I have this guy, he is, you know, um, he's a director now and producer, I think it'd be great. His name is Alex Winter. He was Bill from Bill and Ted. And I'm like, huh? <laughs> Are you serious right now? Like, awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, and also like, you know, 
Man, that's how Hollywood works. Keanu in, Reeves, in you're out. You Keanu know, Reeves, you're in, he, he's, he's great friends with Keanu Reeves. He's gonna like you know narrate the action for you. I'm just like, what? How is this real? Right. So, so yeah. I mean, that was uh, you know that fell into place. And then after that, I was still like depressed because I didn't have a script. And I go to my friend Jose. Uh, you know, I'm like, yeah, let's just hang out because my girlfriend is like, you need to go and play some video games. Like, you know, clear your mind. And I didn't realize that Jose was working to become a screenwriter. Was mm -hmm. like taking classes and all that stuff. And so he's like, just, just, you know, give me whatever you have, right? I sent him a one pager of I had developed. And then the next day he had a whole freaking story. <laughs> That's awesome. Like, They're probably script. like, you know, how, like they say bears are more afraid or scared of you or whatever. Um, <laughs> the, the, I think the thing is from a Hollywood point of view, usually you're being bombarded by scripts from people oh, that yeah. you don't. So I think the concept like, what do you mean you don't have a script yet? Yeah, you should, that's right. Like, everyone, everyone I know in Hollywood is like holding a screenplay in their yeah. hand. We're just waiting for someone to, to give but it But it is amazing and it came together because, I mean, again, I... I didn't, we literally had three weeks at this point uh -huh. to, to make it before the event, which means that at Caltech, they needed a week in advance. So we had two weeks because they needed to run through it and all that stuff. And they had no idea what to expect, of course. And then we put it out there and it goes viral, like everywhere. Oh, Everyone and awesome. their mom were like, what the <laughs> hell is this? They, we even got featured as one of the top 10 Super Bowl commercials. That's awesome. Even though it was not on, in the Super Bowl <laughs> or a commercial, right? And I was like, what is going on? <laughs> so, yeah. That's awesome. Uh, we uh, Previous guests, we had um, uh, Robert Zubrin. Has, he's the inventor of three-person chess. So, oh. uh, so he, which he invented as a kid. So I'm wondering now, <laughs> is there three person quantum chess? Is that in the works? Maybe uh, should I have not know, have spilled the beans there on is, that? Uh, <laughs> think of it this way. Quantum chess is more like a million person chess. A million because person. you split yourself among all the different universes where you're playing. Uh, you're literally like, like Dr. Strange. You're playing so, yeah, against yeah, each okay. other. Exactly. Like, you know, all these parallel universes. Can you imagine idea. how hard it must be to play chess against Dr. Strange? Cause he just goes to all the universes where he loses and then doesn't yeah you know, that's uh, <laughs> so unfair hey, you know so the, a friend of mine uh visited caltech recently and he saw this weird poster uh up and i want since you're mentioning these same people is this real is this, this a real is thing so interesting uh dr leonard hofstadter and dr arthur jeffries professor proton debate dr shelton cooper and dr bill nye the science guy and applied to you know what <laughs> this is just I on a wish. piece of paper. I and really it just, wish this I was think a it's thing. someone's PhD defense. I really, is what oh my god! <laughs> no, I mean I, I'm gonna go. Unfortunately, I, I won't be this here. Is, I can't go. I'll, I'll let you know how All it right, goes. Because <laughs> Bill Nye is local. Yeah, so, yeah. Oh, yeah. I've had him on the show. And well, he, he's occasionally local. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure, sure, sure. That's crazy. I know. <laughs> No one could. There started a whole debate on Twitter amongst uh, some Caltech people. Like, is this a real thing or like what? Wow. <laughs> and if so, who arranged this? This is Beck. If you're, uh, this probably won't come out in time for it. But if you happen to be around Caltech Sunday, July 29th at 7:30 p.m., go check out the Beckman Institute seminar series. See if uh, uh, Dr. Leonard and Professor Proton debate Sheldon Cooper and Bill Nye on uh, applied physics versus theoretical physics. 
Okay, well, this has been really fun. You have amazing stories. Um, Thank you for having me. I want to hang out with you more. <laughs> yeah, I love it's all just new to you, too. That's what I love. It's just like, yeah. oh, by the way, I was just... <laughs> this is, it was so funny. Is when I grew up in L.A. my whole life, yeah. and usually the stereotype is that you go and you meet people, and they think that's what L.A. is like. Yeah. And I'm like, no, it's not at all. Like We don't all know. So that, But then it's so weird. Once you do... It's just like an all or nothing there thing. Is a they way, just that's hang right. out in a big club together or something. <laughs> and you're just outside looking in and knocking on the window yeah. and the Morse code works. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like uh anyway, thanks as uh, pro for being on the show and it's a blast. Thanks again. Nice for being me. Sure you're joking. <laughs>